This morning we're going to be jumping into this series on the book of Matthew, uh, the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And when you think about this, uh, you know, we, we just started uh, in the book of, in the, in the month of December, we were looking at the birth stories at the beginning of Matthew. And I would just say those are kind of the prequel to this series that we're going to be spending a good bit of time just working our way through the book of Matthew. We'll actually probably take some breaks here and there and do some other things as we go. Uh, but if we think about this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. You know, there's already been some surprises in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And if we said, what are the symbols of this kingdom? There are some surprising symbols. And actually, you see it on this graphic is is a cross. <laughs> a cross is not something uh, in those days that would have been the symbol of a kingdom. A cross would have been the symbol of shame, execution for common criminals. And yet, the cross becomes the symbol of this new kingdom that God is starting through Jesus Christ. Uh, the cross, the crown of thorns, and we already saw, like I said in Matthew chapter 1, a baby in a manger coming into a stable uh, is, is, uh, is not something you would expect. Well, that brings us to Matthew chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today. And today we're going to be talking about John the Baptist, who I would say is a surprising kind of person. Uh, you, you get a lot of things you just don't expect when we talk about this kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as we're going to see today. Uh, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to read through these first 12 verses. And then uh, my prayer is that God will speak to us today through his word. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the account of, of John the Baptist's uh, early ministry. It says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we want to look at this person, John the Baptist. It's somebody you've heard about. We're going to talk about the man first. This person, John the Baptist, uh, is a character that a lot of people have heard. I don't know if it's just because of, uh, of his title, John the Baptist. You know, there's John the disciple, John the apostle, but we have John the Baptist, a famous person in Scripture. 
And when you look at what Matthew has to say about him, we're going to see that he's actually a key figure in all of God's salvation history plan. This is not just somebody who shows up randomly and does a job. This is somebody who God has had planned for ages. And the first thing we kind of notice when you read this uh, chapter uh, and you look at this picture is uh, this guy's appearance is a little odd, isn't it? A little strange. It says he wears, uh, in verse 2, verse uh, verse 4, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So this is a true wilderness man, a wild man, if you will, uh, who's living out in the, in the, in the desert. Um, and, you know, if you think about this, this, uh, the commentaries all say this is typically what a diet, what the diet of a wilderness person would have been. Just anything they can forage from the wilderness. I remember as a kid in Sunday school, uh, my Sunday school teacher brought honey and then she had this bag of something that was crunching around and she said, we've got locusts in here. And I thought, who would want to eat that? And she pulled it out and it was crackers, not bugs, okay? <laughs> but John the Baptist was this wilderness person. How many of you in here have ever watched Bear Grylls, uh, Man vs. Wild, or, or some show like that? Anybody? All right, we love those kind of survival shows, people that go out in the wilderness and try to survive. Well, John the Baptist literally lived in the wilderness and lived off of what was there. And so you can't help but notice his appearance in here and wonder about it. As a kid, I wondered about it. But Matthew's primary concern in this chapter, in this passage, is not John the Baptist's appearance. Even though it's odd, and he mentions it just to point out that he's odd, different, set apart. But Matthew's primary concern that I think we pick up over and over again is that John is a fulfillment of prophecy. He's a fulfillment of God's promises. And he fulfills those things by proclaiming a message, a really important message that I want us to hear today. But Matthew is very concerned that we know that John is a fulfillment of God's promises. What's the big deal here? What is God's promise? Um, When we think about the man, John the Baptist, is he just another guy or who is he? Well, what, what Matthew tells us, and we'll look at some of the verses Matthew mentions, but there's actually multiple places in the Old Testament that predict the coming of someone like John the Baptist. And God says to these people, I'm going to send someone to prepare the way for the Messiah. Matter of fact, if you're in Matthew, turn back like three pages, okay? Like three pages to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So the very last words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to put these up on the screen. Um, If you think about what happens here before Jesus comes, Malachi is the final prophet, the last prophet who speaks a message from the Lord. And then we have what's called 400 years of silence. God doesn't give any more messages. God, God goes silent and, and, and the people of God are saying, where are the prophets? There's no one else coming to give us a message until John the Baptist shows up. John the Baptist is the next prophet that God sends. Look at uh, Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6. Again, these are the last words of the Old Testament left ringing in the, in the children of Israel's ears, in God's people's ears for 400 years. Here's what he says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those are kind of sobering words to have ringing in your ears for 400 years. God says, I'm going to send you a prophet who's going to turn you in the right direction 
or else judgment will come. That's kind of the last words of the Old Testament. There's a reason a lot of people say we don't like the Old Testament. We like the New Testament. They don't like these messages of judgment. And yet, if you don't understand the messages of judgment, you don't understand the reason why Jesus Christ had to come. Go back a little further in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi 3 verse 1. Again, Malachi two times predicts the coming of this person. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So God has predicted this twice in the book of Malachi, that last book of the Old Testament, saying there's going to be a messenger who comes. And when he comes, be on your lookout, because then the Lord whom you seek is going to come into his temple. So why did God send John the Baptist? To prepare the way for Jesus. Why did he have to do something like that? I think it's God's grace and God's mercy. He told his people, when you see this messenger show up, pay attention because the king is coming. The Messiah is almost here. So these people were waiting for the messenger who would then predict the coming of Christ. So that's Malachi. Uh, I want to read, go back to Matthew Matthew chapter 11. We're going to skip ahead a little bit here in Matthew. Matthew 11. This is not on the screen, but verses 13 and 14. Jesus' disciples ask him about John the Baptist. And what does Jesus say about John the Baptist? He says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus himself says, John the Baptist is the guy that Malachi was talking about, Elijah who is to come. Now, here's what's funny. If you read further in the Gospels, I think it's in Luke. uh, No, it's in John chapter 1. People actually ask John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. Because he's not. He's John the Baptist. Jesus says here, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. In other words, it's not quite what you expected. You thought Elijah, that prophet from the Old Testament, was going to come back to life or come back to talk to you? He's like, you've been thinking about it the wrong way. God is sending a prophet who will speak like Elijah did in the spirit of Elijah with the same message that Elijah had. And his name is John the Baptist. One more verse. Flip over to Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And we just got done with the Christmas story, okay? So one of the very first things that happens in the book of Luke is the angel Gabriel comes to uh, um, to uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and then he comes to Mary a little later. But when he's talking to Zechariah, he tells him, you're going to have a son. And look at verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. So the angel predicts this. The Old Testament predicts this. Jesus says this is the Elijah who Malachi prophesied about. This is the one who's going to come and make ready the way for the Messiah. A couple other verses. In fact, Matthew actually quotes this. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Uh, you see that in our passage today. It says this. This person's proclaiming, The voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
So we're talking about John the Baptist, the man. Who is he? What did he come to do? You know, uh, it talks here about making straight a, the highway for the for our God. You know, uh, when you have a special guest who comes to visit your house for Christmas, maybe. Some of you probably had family who came into town. What did you do to get ready for that special guest? You probably cleaned the house. You picked things up. You got towels ready for them. You put sheets on the beds. You prepared the, the house so it was ready for your guests to come. And... Jesus, or the, the scriptures tell us that John the Baptist is preparing for Jesus to come. He's preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus to come. Uh, it talks about this idea of preparing a highway for our God. So in other words, it's, is this a, a pathway that God's going to be walking down? Or I think if you read all of scripture more accurately, you could say uh, it's a highway so that people can come to God clearly and unobstructed. I think that's part of what we see John doing. You know, we had a, a snowstorm that came through two days ago back at my mom's house. Okay, we were actually going to come home Friday, but it snowed like crazy on Thursday, so we stayed an extra day. And this is something I forgot about. Uh, when you live in a place where it snows, uh, the sidewalks get covered up. And then if you're going to have guests come over for dinner that night, you have to get out and prepare that sidewalk. Shovel the snow out of the way so they can walk into the house without tracking it all in or without slipping and falling and breaking their leg. And you have to prepare the way. And it reminded me a little bit of this text. John the Baptist comes and says, we're going to clear out the pathway. We're going to clear the sins that are in the way, out of the way, so that you can hear clearly what this king has to say to you. He's coming to prepare the hearts of the people to get ready for this special guest who's coming to visit them. The special Christmas guest. So we see this man, John the Baptist, Predicted in the Old Testament. Flip over to John chapter 1. I think every, actually every one of the four gospels dwells at length on John the Baptist. Because like I said, this is not some guy who just showed up spur of the moment. This is someone who God had promised. And he said, when this guy comes, when this prophet comes, watch out. That means that the king is almost here. And so I want us to look at John chapter 1 uh, for a few minutes here, just to look at what John says about the coming of this king. John chapter 1, and we talked about this actually a little bit on Christmas Eve. John chapter 1, verse 6. So first, the first five verses of John, he talks about this, the Messiah, the word who's coming into the world. But then he goes over to John the Baptist. He says, John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's what John says John the Baptist did. John was like a small light pointing others, directing people to the main light, directing people to the light of Jesus Christ. Skip down in John chapter 1. Uh, we'll skip all the way down to uh, verses 29 through 30. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Back in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel appeared to Joseph, do you remember what the angel said? The angel said, You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. And here John the Baptist about 30 years later is recognizing and telling people, proclaiming to them, Here is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the whole world. You read the rest of the book of John, you find out that Jesus is the Passover lamb 
who dies to take the penalty for sin. So John the Baptist is pointing all the people to that. Here's another key verse. Flip over John chapter 3, verse 30. John 3, verse 30. This setting is John's, John has some disciples, some people who are following him around out in the wilderness, wherever he's preaching and baptizing. And a bunch of them are going over to follow Jesus. And his disciples say to him, what's the deal? Aren't you worried that your people are going to follow Jesus? And I love John the Baptist's answer. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. But I must decrease. That's the heart of John the Baptist. He says, I have one job and one job only. And that's to make Jesus look good, to point people to him, to direct people to follow him. Stop following me. Go and follow him. That's his one purpose in life. And he embraces it. He must increase. But I must decrease. You know, that's a powerful statement. I actually had a friend uh, at, a, at a church I used to go to who on his email, that was his signature. He'd sign his name, you know, thanks for thanks for uh, whatever, and he'd say Tom. And then underneath his little signature, it said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Just to remind himself every day that his purpose in life was to point people to Jesus. So John came, John the man, John the Baptist came to lead people out of the wilderness of sin and into a relationship with the king of the universe who was about to come. John came to lead people out of the wilderness of sin and into a relationship with God. That was his calling, a relationship with the living God. And John, as we're going to see in his message here in just a second, was under no illusions. He knew that sin is what keeps people from having that relationship with God. And so he says, here's the one who can take that sin away. And you can have a relationship with God. So we're not going to look at it today, but John uh, the Baptist actually has a tragic death in Matthew chapter 14. We'll deal with that weeks from now when we get to that. Uh, but he has a tragic death. His whole life is spent pointing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. And then he dies. And so when we think about John the Baptist, the man John the Baptist, there's a couple of takeaways that I want us to just kind of get before we move on to what his message was. First takeaway is this. God uses people in his plan, even strange people, okay? Even strange people. John the Baptist was a little bit strange. He lived out in the wilderness, and people thought, who is this guy? And they went out to see him. And I've always thought to myself, why did God have to send John the Baptist? Why was that such an important part of the plan? Why couldn't he have just sent Jesus? Why did he need John the Baptist to prepare a way? Well, for one thing, it was to fulfill the promises he had made. And the other thing, it was to give people a heads up. Hey, the king is almost here. Be ready. Be ready. And so God uses people. God chooses to use people like John the Baptist. He chooses to use people like you and like me to point people to Jesus. John the Baptist is a very unique person in history. But God uses other men and other women to do the exact same thing, just in a different time and a different place. God uses people, even strange people. See, it's easy for us to say, well, God can use me because I'm normal, but that person over there, they're kind of weird. Um, and I don't think God's really going to use them. 
And God has a whole different standard. Remember, God says, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So God uses people. He wants to use people. He wants to use you to draw others to Jesus. And then that second takeaway is what you see in John's words and his actions, this humility. And I think this is our takeaway. We have to think this every day of our lives. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. That means we're pouring out our lives, as Paul says, as drink offerings, so that whatever, by whatever means possible, more people are coming to see Jesus and coming to know Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think those are some of the takeaways we can just see just by looking at John's life and who he was. Humility enables effective service. But then that brings us to the message that John proclaims. What did this crazy man, this wild man out in the wilderness say to the people? It's really a very simple message in verse 2. It says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, turn away from your sins because the kingdom is almost here. Turn away from your sins. The king is coming. Again, this goes back to what... The angel said in Matthew 1, 21, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so John says, if he's going to save you from your sins, turn away from them now so you'll even be more ready to accept him. We talk about this uh, idea of repentance and then baptism. That was kind of a symbol of the repentance. Uh, We know that in these times that when somebody converted to Judaism, the Jews would actually uh, baptize someone into their faith in a ritual cleansing. Um, But what John's doing is different. It's a little different. He's saying, come, admit that you've sinned. I'll baptize you, not to give you forgiveness, but that baptism is a commitment. It's It's a picture of the washing away, the cleansing of your sins. That's what we believe he's doing here. And so... John says, repent. So we need to talk about this word repent for a little bit. Repent in scripture literally can be translated as turn or return. So in other words, it's this idea of of a 180 degree turn. You're going one direction and you repent from going that direction and go back the other direction. Sometimes that can be painful, right? Repenting means turning away from something you were doing and turning back to something else. Turning away from sin and turning to God. Now it's important for us to realize that sometimes when we think about this idea of repenting, when John tells people to repent, or if you have a scripture that tells you to repent, you think, oh yeah, that means I need to feel sorry for doing something wrong. But repentance is not just remorse or regret, although those things kind of have their place. Repentance is more than just a feeling that you have inside that, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Or I regret that I got caught doing that. Repentance is not just a mental thing. It's actually a change of action. It's actually a change of action. And you know what's hard about this topic, and we're going to come to this a little bit later, is sometimes if you're stuck in a sin and you say, I know I need to repent. And so you say, God, please forgive me. I'm going to repent. I'm just going to try harder. How does that work for you? doesn't work, does it? Because there's only one who can bring the cure for your sins. And you have to depend on him to heal you. And that's the king, Jesus Christ. The one that John is pointing to. 
He's saying, clear up your lives now so that you're ready to receive what Jesus is going to offer you. It's only possible for you to repent if he changes your heart. It's not just a change of mind or a change of attitude. It's a change of action. And there's a a frequently told story, uh, even though you've probably heard this, I want to just read it again to you. You've probably heard this story about the battleship uh, who was signaling in the night. And so there was a battleship on an exercise at sea in bad weather. It was dark and foggy and the captain was on the bridge. Just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side. And the captain asked if it was steady or moving. And the lookout replied that the light was steady, meaning that they were on a direct collision course with that ship. So the captain ordered the lookout to send out a signal to the other ship. Change your course now by 20 degrees. We are on a collision course. The signal came back. It's advisable for you to change your course. The captain signaled, I am a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. And the response came back, I am a seaman, second class. You better change your course 20 degrees. Well, the captain now is furious. He sent back, I'm a battleship. Change your course. And back came the signal, I'm a lighthouse. Change your course. If you think about that, the captain could have said, oh, okay, I agree. You're a lighthouse. Good for you. I I completely agree with you. If he hadn't changed his direction his ship would have crashed. Good picture of what repentance is. He might say, oh, I was wrong, sorry. But if he had continued in that direction, it would have been complete disaster. And that's what repentance is. You realize you're headed in the wrong direction, away from God. And you don't just agree that you're headed in the wrong direction. You turn around and go the other direction. Turn back to God. A change of direction, not just agreeing. So John says repent, but why does he say to repent? Verse 2. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's saying a kingdom is about to arrive. And guess what happens when a kingdom arrives? A new kingdom arrives when a new king comes. And so he's saying the king is here. Get ready for the king. And you know that if this king is God, sin keeps you from him. Repent. Turn away from those things. And the second thing he says when the kingdom of God is at hand is If you read the rest of this passage, he says judgment is coming. This king is going to come. He's offering you a chance to repent, but he's also going to bring judgment for those who choose not to repent. So that's his message, which I think brings us to the third thing in this passage. And that is the response that people give, the response that we are called to give. And that's really our kind of our question, our takeaway from this whole passage is, How do you respond to the message of John the Baptist? How do you respond? And you see in this text, back when he was preaching to to people, there were two kinds of responses. First one was in verses 5 and 6. It says this, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They admitted humbly, sincerely, that they had a problem with sin. And they said, we want to turn away from that. And as a symbol of that, baptize us. As a symbol of the cleansing that we know God can give us. Sincere repentance was one thing. When they heard this call to turn from their sins, sincere repentance was one response. But the other response, and this is the one that's a little bit scary. It's the response of the actually the religious leaders. And that would be fake devotion or fake repentance. 
Look at what it says in verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. By the way, Pharisees and Sadducees, if you don't know who they are, you're going to see them come up over and over again in the book of Matthew. The Pharisees were some of the most holy people, the holiest people. I think we've said this before. They were some of the goodest people of that time. Like there would, it would be hard to find anybody who was living more, at least seemingly good lives. They said, we're following all the rules. Sadducees, kind of the same thing. They were the religious leaders who said, we've got it all together. We've got it all right. And John says to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he says to them, you're not here to repent. You're here just to look good. You're just here because something exciting is happening and you want people to see it. In fact, even the, the words of scripture here, if you look at how it's translated, it could be translated, uh, verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. Some of your translations might have said coming to the baptism. Um, or uh, let me read it from the message. Sometimes it's helpful to read how the message translation says this. John says to them, uh, this is how the message translates it. When John realized that a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it was becoming the popular thing to do, he exploded. You brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. I love that modern translation of it. He says to them, you guys are faking it. You just want to look good, but you're missing it. Repentance is a matter of the heart. Will your heart turn to Jesus? Because this fake devotion, this hypocrisy that we're going to see throughout the book of Matthew, this thing that I think each one of us is in danger of, Every Christian is in danger of some of this. Fake devotion hypocrisy is equivalent to rejection. You're pretending to follow Jesus, but in the inside, you're really not even caring about this relationship. John goes on to talk to them about their heritage. They would say, well, we're children of Abraham. Of course we're good. And John says, it's not your ancestors or your parents. Uh, one author I read this week says, God has no spiritual grandchildren. He only has children that he's adopted. In other words, you can't have a relationship with him just because your parents were Christians or because your granddad was a pastor or any of these things. It's only by your own faith in Jesus Christ and entrusting in him. You can't have forgiveness of sins because of your country or your political party. You can't have forgiveness through anything except a relationship with the king. And John the Baptist says, the king is coming. Prepare your hearts. And that's our message for today. The takeaway, the last takeaway is this. Turn to Jesus. That's what John is saying. Turn to him. Turn away from your sins and turn to the one who can save you. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Turn to Jesus. That was John's message to the people then. It's actually God's message to those people. And it's God's message to us today. Turn to Jesus. If you've never done that, if you've never said, I trust that you alone can forgive him for my sins, turn to him today. Tell him that. Express it. Come tell me that you did that. And here's the other beauty of that word repentance. 
It's really a lifestyle thing. Because even if you have turned to Jesus, you've trusted him. He's your savior. He calls us daily to return to him. Because we get distracted with things. Is there anything in your life you need to repent or turn away from right now? So that you can have an uninterrupted relationship with him. Get the static off the line. Return to him daily. I believe that's God's message to the people then and to us now. People at any time. If you read read the Old Testament, God says, turn to me and I will return to you. Jesus says the same thing. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's turn to him and worship him. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for John the Baptist and his message. God, I pray that we would hear it, that we would embrace it, Lord, and that we would turn to you, if if not for the first time, God, then that we would just return to you as our Father over and over again. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to be one of us. God, I pray that over these next months as we look at the king and the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the beauty and majesty of who you are and how you want us to live in light of that. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Will you stand? I'm going to pronounce a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3 as we go out from here on this first Sunday of 2021. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.